We now return to How David Lynch Stole Christmas. Hello, I got you a present. It's a thumb. <laughs> don't look away. Let the fear wash over you. I don't understand. That's the whole point. Now, did you leave a plate of black coffee out for me? No. In the future, please leave a plate of black coffee out for me. Also in the past. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Kiss my ass. Kiss his ass. Kiss your ass. Happy Hanukkah. You all think Christmas just happens. You think all this goodwill just falls from the freaking sky. Well, it doesn't. It falls out of my holly jolly butt. So you can cook your own damn turkey, wrap your own damn presents, and hey, while you're at it, you can all ride a one-horse open sleigh to hell. Ah! You ever see a Yeti when a dozen condoms of coke burst in his belly? It's a bad scene, man. It's shaky, but police say three people got into a Black Friday brawl around 7 o'clock tonight. One officer was slightly hurt and taken to the hospital, and two people were booked. Walmart says police were called when tensions started running high after some customers were found cutting in line. Because he said that the elves tried to unionize because some elves was using their machines, and then that turned into a war between the elves and machines, and the machines won. And then this here, this, this here where we're standing on, this is an elephant playground. It is a graveyard. Graveyard. Something. And that's why the poor is fearing blood, because who over there that goes to his haunting? Hey, everybody, what's up? Happy holidays, Festivus, whatever particular holiday season your particular ethnicity, religion, non-religion, whatever the hell you do at this time of year, happy it. <laughs> Pretty much all stolen from pagans, so have that. Yeah, happy happy whatever you're doing this year. But anyways, yeah, Christmas is right around the corner here, and then we've got New Year's, and... Uh, I guess we're going to take a break until we're ready to come back or until shows are set up to go, which I've got a few lining up very quickly here. Very Within the last week, interesting ones have popped up. So I don't know. We're going to take it as it comes. Um, this week we have Robert Schneck coming back to the show. This is an odd show, even for yeah. having Rob on the show. That's something. Yeah. The idea of the show was to have him come out here and talk about strange events relating to Christmas. And try yeah, as hard as we quickly. can it just went all over the place it was like all right let's go back to christmas and then we'd start talking about another christmas thing and then would go off into something else and it would go off into it was something good else. though yeah it's typical rob the thing is is rob's gotten we were talking off the air rob has gotten so used to coming on our show and talking with us and we've known him for so long like that it's not we were saying off there he's like it's like having a conversation with you guys and i said yeah that's how that's how it works for us you know and we just bug him and even off the air, we put the groundwork down for another show that we're going to do in a few months that we all seem to want to do. So <laughs> it will happen. Uh, but, yeah, this show just goes all the place. Um, regular listeners of the show shouldn't know Robert Schneck. Uh, he is the he runs the site on Facebook, Historian of the Strange. He wrote the book The President's Vampire, and he wrote Mrs. Wakeman versus the Antichrist. I said correctly that time. I have this Yes, you did. I don't know why I keep wanting to say Mrs. I Wakefield. told you. It's because you like knuckleball pitchers. I don't pay attention to baseball a whole lot as the baseball episode. Apparently proved. part of you does. 
Yeah, well, apparently we brought up something. I'm going to do this real quick and then we'll jump in the interview because I keep forgetting to do about it. Uh, Katie, one of our listeners, um, love that girl. Um, she brought up that we talked in there about the religion that was the baseball team. And apparently there's trains or something that 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 house and where that stuff all place is still there. You can go there and get tours of it. It's up and it's still in Michigan and you can still go out there and visit where House of David. Yeah, it's still there. You can still go cool. visit it and they do historical tours and stuff like that. Who's She's, Katie? Katie's we brought her up in the show. She's one of our listeners. Somebody I've she known is? for a long time. Yes. She's one of is our this listeners. Is the kid? The kid, no. Not anymore. <laughs> no, but that's the kid, right? Or was the kid? Uh, she's a friend of the family. She's yes. kind. Of, she's she's kind of like an adopted daughter for the run away. Kind run away. I don't see her that often. She's out there. She's listening. You know, and she she, she got a kick out of it when I brought her name up last time. But she sends me things every once in a while. She likes what we do because you know we're interested in strange history. But she did send the thing and saying, yeah, you can still go visit the house of David. They still do tours of it. They still talk about it. And me, I have this weird thing, this weird fascination with strange cults. Um, which <laughs> well <laughs> well i was one we are more thing. friends <laughs> i'm going to do a show upcoming i was doing research on a ufo I, I i've i've been doing researches on ufo cults and stuff like that Ooh, and i came across this thing um which i eventually found out what it was but i'm going to do a show about the process of how i was researching this ufo cult and what it actually turned out to be it's oh. kind of anticlimactic but the the process of how i went through to research this and when i finally found out what it was i'm like oh okay well that's what it was never mind but i thought the you know I'm, i might still do some kind of a short show or whatever about me looking into this ufo cult mm. um so anyways let's jump into the interview with robert schneck and then we'll finish up talking to you guys and Whoa. cut you guys loose for the year do you remember the cryptic message that I left at the end of last show? No, because you leave weird messages at the end of every show. Well, I told you I said goodnight or something along those lines to Lava Girl. Okay. Well, she heard it, and she knows who she is. Okay, then. That worked out well. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll see you guys at the other side. we <laughs> <laughs> So, we have Robert back with us, old friend of the show. Like, every so many months we have to have you on here, it seems, just to uh, get caught up on whatever you're looking into, because you, you, you're like the historian of the strange. You've become our resident for that. So, how have you been? Good, good. How about you guys? I'm good. Lobo, you got post-nasal drip. I'm here. That's half the battle, right? <laughs> Again, you are the uh, writer of President's Vampire and Mrs. Wakefield versus the Antichrist. And Mrs. you Wakeman. have Mrs. Wakeman. I'm sorry. And uh, why did I say Wakefield? I've you got, say it every time. I know. I know. I know that. You like knuckleball pitchers. Something. Um, and you have a movie that you're associated with coming out eventually here. Called mm-hmm. the Bye Bye Man, which is based off of a story from uh, the President's Vampire. Which now available in audiobook. That's the Bye Bye Man. Yes. Have any has anybody con- else contacted you for any other things to do with that book or anything like that, or try to? Uh, no, no. The really... uh, the uh, it's a funny thing. I don't think I don't think the people that come up with the original content are a real high priority on the list of of people out there. You know, it's. Like, uh, we're, we're just kind of these strange people out in the hinterlands who sit in our little rooms and come up with stories 
And once they get a hold of them, it's it, then it becomes a Hollywood property. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's their thing, which is fine. God knows they pay for it. So, you know, it, uh, they can do what they want. It, it is just, it's kind of funny because we are, we're a low priority once they've got, once they've got their, uh, their, their uh, movie put together. I don't, I, I don't resent it. It's just, it's just odd to me. It's like, I would have expected at some point, somebody would have like called and said, so did this happen? No, no, it's just. It was uh Well once it, they own it they can do pretty much whatever they want to it for Yeah, the most and part. again yeah, and, and I had no problem with that. It's just you'd think there'd just be a little curiosity about it. Like somebody would say, So when you wrote this, did this really happen? No, it's just I, I again I don't understand how it works. It's a very, very different business than book writing. Are you afraid that when you see the movie it's gonna be something totally different than what happened and you're gonna be like, No, that's not no, this is totally wrong. This is this is so overly fictionalized it's a joke, you know, or something no, like no, that. No, no, that's exactly what I expect to happen. Oh, okay. Well at least <laughs> and, you're cool about it. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm cool about it. First of all, you've gotta remember that um it is not this story is not my baby. I did not dig it up out of some ancient forgotten archive, piece it together from bits and scraps of information that I collected over the years. No, this story more or less dropped into my lap from somebody who had been telling it for years. What I did essentially was write it down, put it in a book, give it some context, and tell the world about it. That That's what I did. So, as I said before, I am just one of a chain of storytellers that have been telling this story. And now different kinds of storytellers have it, and it's up to them to tell the story the way they want to. Huh. So kind of like the Bible. If you like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised nobody's like tried to hook you up with some kind of a consulting gig for you know, for like television shows or stuff on the History Channel or something like that. No, no, and it's funny because I'd love to be a talking head. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like hard work, and you don't even have to wear pants. You know, <laughs> that's the prerequisite. I got to be able to not. I can so it. see you showing up on set with like a bathrobe, wearing a pair of boxer shorts and a t-shirt, look like the Lebowski or something. <laughs> so we're we gonna um, do this thing. Yeah, let's uh, let's roll with this here. Okay, there's a story. You you run the historian of the strange on Facebook, and you put a story in there that was so flipped out and so unusual, which is a lot coming from you. That uh, I had to ask you about it, and yeah. th th it's the story of the prostitute, the male prostitute that got away being a woman prostitute with with pieces of meat. So, yeah, I I'll let you tell the story. <laughs> well, there isn't really a lot to tell because uh, it was the early 19th century, 1830s. I think it was 1836, 1837, and the newspapers at that time are not going to go into a lot of detail. But uh, there was this black man who worked as a female prostitute whose name was Peter Sewell. And he cross-dressed, presented himself as a woman named Mary Jones. And the way he managed to trick clients into thinking that he was actually a woman was using two slabs of beefsteak that were uh, strategically placed under his skirt. Now, how exactly he did this, I don't know. I'd rather really not think about it. But uh, he was known as Beefsteak Pete locally. <laughs> and the, uh, 
the funny thing is about this, and uh, okay. Oh, there's a lot funny about this. (laughs) (laughs) This is a family show, sort of. So no, no, no. (laughs) Okay, I'm not going to go too much into this, but I I read a book called The Lung. uh, It was I was reading a book about Jack the Ripper once, and I don't remember which one it was. But the author did something interesting. He 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 kind of went off to one side, and he took a, a much deeper look into the world of London prostitutes and what, what how they lived, what they really how they they dealt with clients and things like that. And what Beefsteak Pete did was something somewhat comparable. A lot of female prostitutes were not. Okay, I can't believe I'm saying this on on air, but they were not regularly penetrated. They would use their thighs. They would use different ways of not being penetrated and uh, to satisfy their clients who were often drunk and who were meeting them in areas that were so dark they wouldn't know what was going on. I mean, you've got to remember, we take street lighting for, for granted. It used to be that when it when night fell on the city, it was pitch black. Mm-hmm. There might be there might be one or two main roads that had some lighting, but even then it wasn't much. Usually so, they were oil lamps and they were terribly sooty. Yeah, I mean it was just and once you went uh, off to a side street, forget it, it was black. It was black as 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 uh, as ink. So there were and prostitutes, of course, didn't want to get pregnant, and they didn't want to get venereal disease if they could avoid it. So they would do things that would fool their clients, and it wouldn't surprise me if there were female versions of Beefsteak Pete out there, and that might even be where he got the idea. Hmm. I um, <sighs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> I guess so. Here is your London broil. Um, <laughs> oh come on, man! Well, I already made the meat curtains joke off the air, so I can't. Yeah, but that's just no. Oh, <laughs> uh, no your kids asleep? I hope so. <laughs> Someday they're going to grow up and hear this. Um, the oldest listens. Oh, great! Not to this one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, so, anyways, uh, being that it's the holiday season. Mm-hmm. And this will be the show that's dropping right before Christmas. Mm-hmm. I said, who would have a virtual cornucopia of stories that are weird pertaining to Christmas? So, uh, Uncle Robert. Uncle Robert. Yeah. Uncle so, Robert. where yes, do you want to start? Because you well, collect these things. Well, sure, I collect them because, uh, you know, I have that historian of the strange page. And I like to keep it, if not, if not, um, exactly up to date. I do like to post some seasonal articles if I can, because people enjoy them. Um, I remember, you know, on Thanksgiving, I I thought I would just be nice and just wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. And someone wrote in disappointed that I hadn't run something gruesome. <laughs> so, yes. You ungrateful <laughs> bastards. Yeah. So I sent her the article that I was considering running, which was very gruesome. Uh, it involved a um, a football game back in the 19th century or the early 20th century. I don't, I don't remember offhand. I can look it up easily enough. But it's a notorious story, the worst sports accident in American history, where this group of fans were, were covering the roof of a glass factory trying to watch the game. 
and they made the mistake of climbing up on the glass ceiling of this glass factory and it was mainly you know, young men in their you know, 12, 13, 14 who, could, who would climb up on a roof in the first place and then go sit on the, on the, uh, the glass dormer of the roof to watch a football game. Uh-huh. Anyway, the glass gave way and about 12, 13, 14 of them fell into a glass furnace which is awfully hot, and uh, they were burned to death. And the ones that weren't killed in the fall were more or less uh, exploded from the heat of the glass so furnace. They were watching a football game from the roof of this building, is what you're saying? Yes, and the glass roof that they were sitting on collapsed, and they fell in. And some of them fell into the glass furnace. Some of them hit the floor, but a lot of them were killed. And uh, it, like I said, I don't have the the story at my fingertips, but it's easy enough to look up. Oh, that would suck. Yeah, it really, it did suck for everyone. <laughs> Where did fact, this happen at? The, it was in 1900, and it happened in San Francisco. The um, I know well, what it was now. Of course now. it did. Uh, Thanksgiving Day in 1897, I believe it was. No. That's right. Yes. That's, it, was, it was 1900. Yeah, it was the 1900 Stanford Cardinal football team. During the game, the weight of hundreds of spectators caused the roof to collapse, uh, plunging a large group of primarily boys and young men to the concrete floor and active furnaces of the glass factory. In all, 22 died. More than 70 were injured. The Thanksgiving Day disaster remains the deadliest accident ever at a U.S. sporting event. In fact, there's a photograph of it a few minutes before it happened. Wow. Yeah, they're way off in the distance, but uh, it's still, it was one of those, it's one of those photographs where you look at it and say, oh my God, if they don't know what's about to happen to them. Yeah. Oh man, that would suck, just falling and knowing. It, that, that's Only for a little while. Yeah, I mean, it says, it says here, 15 tons of molten glass bubbled within at 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That's like That's that story of scar. what the uh, molasses factory that gave yeah, way. Boston. Yeah, the Boston molasses factory thing where it gave way and all those people died that got stuck in the molasses or drowned in molasses. You can still yeah. smell it on a hot day. I've really? heard that. Yep. Wow. When did that That's, happen? I don't. Remember, I don't remember the details. I just late eighteen hundreds. Nineteen nineteen. Oh, nineteen nineteen. Yeah, in the North End neighborhood of Boston. Yeah, you can still smell it when it gets hot. Yeah, they call it a sticky tragedy. Yeah, well, that's one way to put it. Yeah, yeah. burst and all this molasses <laughs> just come flying down the road, more or less, which is weird when you think about molasses like sure. moving quickly. You don't you expect think that's the, the one thing you can outrun would be molasses. Yeah, yeah, it's Not like when it's hot, walk for yeah. your life, you know. Only when it's cold, and then it, uh, I guess this, this, it was like amber. It just encased everything that it's that went over it. They had horses and stuff that were stuck in it that they couldn't get out. That they just had to put out of their misery. Mm-hmm. But that would suck too, like just being encased in molasses. And you know what? Are you, what are you gonna do? You know, you. It's kind of like the opposite of quicksand. You know. Sure. Not that is such a bizarre way to go. The people not that only died were mostly crushed and, and drowned. Yeah. Uh, and not not only do you die in a horrible, miserable way, but a hundred years later, people think it's funny. I think it's because it is. Yeah. <laughs> also, London had a beer flood once. Yep. Really? Yeah, it's on the same page. That's the only reason I'm, I, I mentioned it. I, I forgot about that. Huh. Well, why don't you tell us some happy, festive Christmas stories of people doing weird things? Okay. Well, one of the uh, one area that you can 
really go out of your way. You could actually collect a few of these. Are on people that dress up as. I actually I don't have the clippings at my fingers, but I know. But I have uh, I have folders on them. Are on people that dress up as Santa and then commit mass murder. That nice. Happens, do that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that happened just a few years ago. Remember in Grapevine, Texas, that yes. there was a woman who did that. She, uh, no, no, no. The one, the woman who did it was was years earlier. Bad the one, in, the one in Grapevine. That was more recent. That was a man who uh, who dressed up as Santa Claus and they had a nice party, and then he shot his whole family dead. I think he ended up shooting himself. Uh, there was a woman, though, back in the 1960s, if I remember correctly, who more or less did the same thing. She uh, she played Santa Claus for her family and then shot and killed everybody. Was so, it spin on Silent Night, huh? Yeah, well, this, this predates it. Uh, <laughs> but, but on top of that, you've also got, for example, Santa Clauses that would catch on fire. And uh, I mean, I've got one right here from Wichita, Kansas in the 1890s. Uh, M.C. Taylor died this morning from burns received Christmas evening when he caught fire while impersonating Santa Claus at a church entertainment. His injuries were considered by no means fatal at the time, and not until this morning were there alarming indications. The alarming indication, presumably, was that he died. Huh. But, uh, but again, uh -huh. we've got a lot of those because that was well before the days of uh, fireproof clothing. And, you know, one of the things that it, it that it's easy to forget is that Christmas lights were all once little fires. Yeah, candles. Yep. They were candles, and candles burn everything. And putting them in a pine tree is usually not a good idea. Yeah. No, I, no, no, they go up like a tinderbox. Yeah, because yeah. pine trees, a dry, a dry pine tree goes up very quickly on its own just with Christmas lights or what have you. Well, the the worst uh, example of that uh, was something that happened in a place called Silver Lake, Oregon. This was also back in the 1890s. And it was a Christmas party that more or less the whole town attended. And while the festivities were at their height, someone climbed on a bench from which point he expected to get a better view of what was going on. In doing so, his head struck a lamp hanging from the ceiling overturning it. The oil immediately caught fire, and of an inflammable nature, the room was soon a mass of flames. Someone shouted, shut the door and keep quiet. It can be put out. But, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I don't anyway, think so. At the that end was planned wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a two-story building. And in the end, a um, 41 people were burned to death and 16 were badly injured, five of whom probably died. And many of them were women and children. And it was one of those stories that has more or less been forgotten because Silver Lake is just a little, a little dot on the map. I don't even know if the town still exists. It might not if it was a lumber settlement, for example. But uh, th that's th there are a lot of fire-related stories com connected to um, connected to Christmas, and the uh, th this is just one of them. If you were to take the time and start collecting stories of murders, you know, if, you know, a you know what are some good? Just look up Christmas horror, uh, in, in and on on Google. 
put the parent, you know, put the uh, quotation marks around it, and you'll find so many stories, usually murders. But I have a personal favorite. Oh no! <laughs> this is the one that I, I'm going to be posting the whole story on um, a historian of the strange on Christmas Day. But I, I don't. I, I, I suppose that it's. Uh, it's fine to read it here because it happened in 1912 and there is very little information about it. However, the story did run in two different papers and I I haven't been able to disprove it. But uh, this story was from the uh, Coffeyville Daily Journal, Coffeyville, Kansas, December 26, 1912. I just love this story, so I'm just going to read the whole thing. A lumber camp orgy kills 14 what? Wait, what? Yeah. No, don't stop him. Go ahead. Don't, don't, Go ahead. Minnesotans, Minnesotans celebrated day with wood alcohol. Battle oh, no. with broad axes. Yes. Norwegians, French Canadians, and Irishmen turned Christmas into a bloody massacre. Bemidji, Minnesota, December 26th. Oh, no, I've been there. <laughs> wow. Without whiskey... On Christmas Day, wood alcohol was introduced into a lumber camp into the, in the Cass Lake country in northern Minnesota. Crazed by the poisonous liquid, the lumberjacks turned the day into a bloody massacre. Armed with axes, members of the crew, Scandinavians, French Canadians, and Irishmen, attacked each other. And when the carnage was over, 14 lay dead from their wounds or from the alcohol. But four in the camp survived the orgy. I love that story. That's awesome. Wood alcohol, well, it'll distill, blind your ass. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, any alcohol distills will, will do that. But wood alcohol isn't that. Uh, you you Used can't for drink cleaning. Yeah, that well, that you, will kill well, you. If you try hard enough, you can drink anything. So, well, I'm I, first of all, there's always the possibility that the story is a hoax. Yeah. Because there are uh, the number of newspaper hoaxes. It, it just never ends. And this could have been someone's idea of fun. I did find it, it was a similar article appears somewhere else. But uh, there are, there's one more article that seems to go into a little more detail. So I would have to do some research to find out whether or not this actually happened. And I am tempted to because this is just such a crazy story. Uh, I, I don't know what wood alcohol does to somebody initially. It's not but, apparently, but apparently it makes you attack each other with, with uh, broad axes. So it sounds like good stuff. It was the bath salts of its day. That's right. <laughs> I mean, as far as I know, this this could very well just be something that someone came up with who was a great believer in uh, teetotaling. Well, and you got to realize that wood alcohol is methanol. It's not ethanol that we normally drink. It's <laughs> toxic. So right. It's going to have all kinds of weird things happen to you. It shuts down the nervous system. It'll blind your ass. It can put you in a coma if you're lucky. Well, maybe, um, you know, again, let's assume that the story is true. We'll just say it's true. I can imagine that if, if like regular alcohol, it lowers people's inhibitions before they go, in, before they go blind, that uh, there probably was a very, it might very well have been a tense atmosphere. I could imagine the Scandinavians, French Canadians, and Irishmen were very cliquish, and that there were, there were, um, old scores to settle and I guess you add wood alcohol and axes and Christmas and it just uh, got out of hand yeah well that's one way to put it yeah I don't even know how to respond it's just like 
<laughs> I, I just see this massive melee out in the middle of nowhere of drunk people with axes just going at one another. And plaid. And plaid, yes, yes. Killer lumberjacks. Yes. That's right. <clears throat> so it's a lot of beard and plaid. <sighs> what the else Viking horde. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> what? I said, what else you got? <laughs> oh, I got lots of things. Go I mean, for just, it. Oh, <laughs> I actually have been collecting... Uh, a lot of things that people did when they were uh, drunk or crazy for some reason. Uh, I, I have really – oh, here's one. that This was not a great story in itself. It just – there was almost something cinematic about it that, that appealed to me. Uh, the headline, it, it was from the – it happened in Denver in uh, 1946. Um, Bullet, climax to Christmas song, fatal to woman in Denver dance hall. Denver, December 25th, a bullet fired just after a nightclub orchestra had finished playing Silent Night brought <laughs> instant death to Mary Alice Barbie, 38, of Denver last night. Wounded in the hand in a struggle after the shooting was Walter Cornelius Stalk, 42, who Sheriff Herman Farney said fired the fatal shot, and Harold E. Miller hit in the leg by the same slug that went through Stokes' hands. Wow. Yeah, I mean, to me, it was just the idea of listening to the end of Silent Night and then for suddenly, suddenly, and then the shooting starts. It's good times. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Denver, nineteen forty-six. But uh, <laughs> as you do, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You gotta do something when you're bored, right? Yeah, I mean the uh, the newspapers at the time they they did their own sort of um, uh, horror, uh, Christmas horror roundups. It actually, it's. I mean, in the uh, the Los Angeles Times in uh, 1905 did a Christmas horror roundup starting uh, two Santa Clauses burned to death, three other persons <laughs> dead as a result of accidents, two fatally hurt, and a dozen minor accidents marked the bloodiest Christmas in the history of the city of Houston. That was just Houston where the, uh, where the two Santa Clauses burned to death. Uh, there was... Um, Roy Raymer was killed by a little girl playing with a supposedly empty revolver. Uh, tell me that happened in Florida. Please no. tell me that happened in Florida. <laughs> I think it happened in Houston, Texas. Yeah, same thing. Uh, Edward Carter, age 15, his arm was torn off by a toy by explosion of a toy cannon. What? Who gives their kid a toy cannon? <laughs> no one deserves that. If it's a toy, it's, if it blows your arm off, it's not a toy. <laughs> Just because it's smaller doesn't mean it's a toy. Sid Anderson and W.H. Osborne were both burned to death impersonating Santa Claus. Their false beards caught fire. Oh, man. (laughs) 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 Oh, here's a little more information. Edward Carter, whose arm was torn off by a toy cannon, received it from his grandfather, who journeyed a thousand miles to visit the boy. Oh, man. Had to make this one count. (laughs) Washington, Pennsylvania, just as she was hanging a doll for her baby sister on a Christmas tree at her home in Hazelkirk, Pennsylvania last night, Mary, the nine-year-old daughter of James Kennedy, received a bullet through her brain. What? She she died from her wound at 8 o'clock this morning. Who shot it? Kennedy, who was a foreman at the Hazelkirk Mines, had brought the Christmas tree home, and he and his wife and little daughter had spent the evening decorating it and were hanging the baby presents on it. Mary had picked picked up the doll, her gift to her sister. 
Won't she be happy when she sees this, she exclaimed. Then she reached up to fasten it on the tree. At this instant, a shot fired from outside, crashed through the door, and struck the little girl squarely on the forehead. Without uttering a sound, she dropped to the floor unconscious. Mrs. Kennedy rushed to the door and threw it open. Disappearing in the darkness, he saw a fleeing Negro. Though his wife had also dropped unconscious beside the little victim of the tragedy, Kennedy ran from the house and notified the police. A posse set out immediately. In two hours, four Negroes had been arrested and are now held on suspicion. Identification of the murderer, however, is next to impossible. That sounds suspicious. That sounds like that bastard didn't want his wife and kid anymore, shot him, and then blamed some poor black dude. Uh, it's not impossible. It wouldn't be the first time it happened. However, it was Judas. just the little girl that got shot. The woman was unconscious. She fainted. Do you have any stories of, like, like Christmas church socials going insane or church socials just going nuts? And yeah, actually, isn't I Isn't that, do. like, all the time? Uh, but it has. It's not related to Christmas. Yeah, I, I was always wondering if things like that happen at church. I well, have. I have a a, 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 a. I posted on Historian of the Strange, not too long ago about this. Um, it was a church social in West Virginia, and there was an argument, and it ended up in a, a, a shotgun shooting, where this man was killed and his wife had part of her head torn off by the shotgun and they were apparently argue there was an argument about the uh church building fund and the uh it was one of those stories that at the time it you know if a story if something like that happened today that would be the lead story everywhere this story appeared in the local news section of the paper like a lot of local news stories at the time uh, they they would be headlines today, but man, I, I can spend. If we ever wanted to, we could do a whole show on weird filler items in newspapers that are just so bizarre. I know some of them were made up. I know some of these stories are invented because there was actually a guy who was famous for making up newspaper fillers, mm -hmm. and the stories have been circulating so often and so long, people just assume they're real. But there are also stories that I don't believe were made up. They're just weird little things that uh, happen. And you just, oh, like one guy I remember, I have a clipping somewhere. He died when he, a hose he was using wrapped around his neck. And the hose, he had the hose wrapped around his neck and someone turned it on. And it just strangled him. I have got this one, I have this one here. It's a picture I wish that you could see the picture, but it's just fatal freak accident. Imagine a man, he's got a, uh, it's, he's got a big car from 1951. The car is next to a tree. He is standing next to the car, and there's a boot on the ground. The caption is, the body of Amos Frank Shoup, 79, is held in standing position in door of his automobile after a freak accident at Hunter Lake near Middlebury, Indiana. Investigators said that Shoup was sitting on the car floor, his feet on the ground, as he put on his boots when the machine rolled down a slope. The door was wedged against a tree, trapping him, and the coroner said death was due to strangulation. You know, that's not super crazy. We have a friend who uh, was a podcaster, and he was driving his car, 
and he had the door slightly open. I don't remember the exact story behind the whole thing, but he has hand, he had his hand on the top of the door, and then saw, I believe an accident happened, and it smashed his fingers and lacerated his wrist wide open um, because he was either sitting there and a car ran into it, or ran into him, or he was driving the car or something like that, and something happened. And what is the, this, the, four, the Mustang? Yes. No, the door just closed on him. It was no accident. I thought somebody like hit him or something no, like that. The door closed on him. That was the cursed Mustang. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was such a bizarre thing. But he almost this guy almost bled almost out. Died from yeah. it. Yeah, he almost died from it. And uh, to this day, his fingers and stuff are still messed up. And he still drives the car. Actually, it's kind of weird. Of course he does. Yeah, you, you spilled blood. You got to keep it. <laughs> no, yeah, no kidding. It'll run it's great tasted. now. <laughs> you don't want to give that to someone else. It's tasted blood. <laughs> That's it. It's Christine. <laughs> That's what they. That's what his family calls the car. Apparently, yep. <laughs> all right. So going back to the Christmas stuff, how many more do you have? Do you have a good amount more? Oh gosh, yes. I keep mean, right on going. Oh, <laughs> I stories. Is that, oh yeah, yeah. This was an odd one. This is from White Plains, New York. It was about a thirteen-year-old girl who murdered an eight-year-old girl on Christmas Eve. A thirteen-year-old girl has confessed. Dist- Attorney Frank H. Coyne said yesterday to the murder last Sunday of her eight-year-old girl chum, Mary Kavala, Coyne said last, uh, told him after long questioning last night that she had killed Josephine Waropé, hitting her on the head with a rock and then strangling her. I did it, the district attorney quoted her as saying, Josie told lies about me and about my family. I did it. I lost my temper. Uh, Josephine's body was found Christmas Eve under the porch steps of St. Matthew's Lyceum at Hastings-on-Hudson. Police believed she had been slain by a man, and it was not until yesterday that they started questioning Mary. Steadfastly, she denied the crime until late last night. She broke down and admitted killing Josephine. Now, I don't know what kind of uh, interrogation they did on a 13-year-old girl, but uh, I must admit the... the, uh, I do find the story kind of odd. They had gone for a walk Saturday afternoon, she told the authorities. An argument arose over the stories she said Josephine told about her. In a fit of temper, she picked up a rock and struck the girl on her head, stunning her. From an old mop, she took several strands and tied them tightly around Josephine's neck. (sighs) Then Then she found an automobile in her tube and twisted it around the girl's neck. What? Her angry passion still flaring, Mary went to a nearby rubbish pile, found a bottle, and smashed it on a rock. With a jagged piece of bottle, she slashed, she slashed Josephine's face until she was exhausted. Then she pulled the body under the porch steps and went home. And then she burned the house down. After she burned the house down, she then did the body and put it in an Actually, actually... The next day, she said in her confession, she returned to the Lyceum and stripped all the clothing from the girl's body. Fearful that it could be seen, she dragged an old abandoned sled under the porch and placed it over the body. This is, man, this is if you give a mouse a cookie. This is if you you give a kid a reason. (laughs) Holy shit. She finished her recital, but quickly regained calm and signed the confession. District Attorney Coyne said he was convinced the girl had no accomplice. He said he was undecided whether to replace a charge of murder in the first degree against the girl. Meanwhile, she was being held in a children's shelter here under a technical charge. Now, to be honest, I have not looked into this story. I would not be surprised if it turned out that she was pressured into giving this confession or that... um, 
some mistake was made and she felt guilty. I don't know. Or she might have just plain done it. There are, I have plenty of clippings of children doing horrific things. Mm -hmm. So, uh, again, I have not, I cannot say for sure about this. I mean, I have another clipping about a 10-year-old girl that supposedly murdered her little sister and her mother uh, in Los Angeles in the 1940s. But that turned out to be that the mother had actually murdered the little girl and then committed suicide. And the, li- and the girl who was accused of the crime, she, she found both bodies. She was traumatized. And the police just sort, sort of thought she did it. And, uh, but that, that eventually, like I said, they did figure out that it was the mother that did it. Uh, she, uh, they thought the little girl had slashed the mother to death, but it turned out those were self-inflicted wounds, and she had committed suicide. And this was on Christmas, or did this? this so the, the the one with the the uh, cl- the one with the girl named Chloe. That's the second story I told. That that was not a Christmas. It just uh, it was just something that stuck in my mind because I recently found the story. Huh. This uh, this girl uh, in White Plains, New York. This was on Christmas Eve, and presumably the day that she stripped all the clothing from the body and put an old sled on top of it was on Christmas Day. Wow, Yikes. hell is for children. Again, though the the collection the. Uh, the idea of slashing the face and all that, that is... Uh, that's anger. Yeah, that's real anger. That's so, real again, anger. Assuming that she actually did this and that she was responsible, it sounds to me like uh, she would have had to have ended up in some kind of a, uh, 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 an insane asylum or something equivalent. There really was no, there were not a lot of options for children that were scary back at the time. I don't think there were a lot of options for scary children now, but uh, at the time there really was almost nothing they could do except put them in some kind of an asylum or put them in a, in a dedicated place in in a regular prison. You know, it's, uh, do you remember a few years ago when that redheaded boy murdered a little boy just a few feet from his house? Uh, He was, I think 10 or 12 and what he did to the little boy's body was horrific. Uh, But now they've been talking about releasing him, and uh, he was put in a regular prison. But now he's reached the age where he's in prison mm-hmm. uh, because I think he's of legal age, and th- they can't make up their mind what to do with him. I've seen him interviewed, and my God, I hope they don't release him. He is still scary, and you know what? Let makes me guess. Th- After what? he killed the little boy, he screamed, "We do not have souls," because he was I- a ginger. I'll give you an A for effort. I will. Yeah, you you yeah. tried. You did try. I, I, Don't patronize me. I'm not. I'm not buying anything from you. Um. <laughs> you know what makes, you know what makes uh, the interview worse is he has so obviously been gone over by psychiatrists and psychologists for so many years that he talks in their talk. You know, he he uses all the terms and he uses all of the. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says all the right things, and I don't believe him for a second, not a half a second. And it's just the idea that he could be let out someday is very spooky. Yeah. Well, well let's take us back to happier times of Christmas. <laughs> Are we covering all murders all the time? <laughs> let's see. Th- there is one story here. Again, I, I really didn't know we were going to be talking about uh, Christmas so much. But uh, well, if you've got them, go ahead and throw I mean, them out. Well, there. I mean, I've got I, I got the story actually that I ran recently 
on uh, Historian of the Strange. Honestly, I can't explain this one. It's short, so I can read it. The um, headline is from the Charlotte News, Charlotte, North Carolina, December 26, 1912. Has diamond embedded in his flesh? San Bernardino, California, December 26th. A man who gave his name as Hitchcock had a diamond weighing a carat and a half cut out of the flesh of his arm yesterday. He said the gem had been sewed in the flesh in South Africa. Hitchcock asked the surgeon to do the job in a hurry as he wanted to give the diamond to his wife for Christmas. Hitchcock refused to give his reason for having the gem embedded in his flesh. Now, presumably, he... uh, did it for smuggling, but I, I've given up trying to explain why people do anything they do. <laughs> that answer, sounds like just yeah, because. To have it, that yeah. sounds like a. But is smuggling diamonds that big of a thing, or was it that big of a thing to you know? It still to, is. Well, you know, it's funny you should mention that. I, in in uh, Mrs. Wakeman versus the Antichrist, I have a story about a man who had screw-on horns. Yes. Yeah, okay. Remember that. Now yes. the doctor. The dentist, rather, who did the who did the operations that that allowed them to do the screw on horns, he had a smuggling operation that he had set up. I'm just tell I'm going to just report what they said, and that was that apparently dog skins were imported from South America, and at, at this at this point back early in the 20th century dog skins were being imported from South America so he had this what he was doing was he was having precious gems sewn into the dog skins in order to smuggle them into the United States since it was South America they were probably emeralds and uh so i guess precious stone smuggling was a big enough deal that it was worth doing uh, you know, when I posted it, somebody made the uh, someone made the pretty obvious comment. He said, "Couldn't he just anal the thing?" And uh, <laughs> I is that, I had no is that the right terminology? Yes. <laughs> Couldn't, Couldn't he, he just, just anal, anal the, the thing? thing. <laughs> wow! <That's>, uh, <laughs> and I, I really I had no answer to that, um, unless it wasn't wow. uh, maybe it was rough cut. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Still, you know what? Mm, I don't know. Maybe, well, and also, it's it was a gift for his wife, so yeah, that's not something you want to shove in your ass. I mean, it's for the wife. <laughs> it reminds me of that scene in, in Pulp Fiction. Butt. That scene in the Pulp, Pulp Fiction scene where uh, what was it? Uh, Christopher uh, Walken. Yeah, <laughs> I smuggled this watch out for your dad. <laughs> yeah, that's you know what? I no, I would never carry anything like that in my pocket ever. I would burn it <laughs> with fire. <laughs> Or I'm at least sorry. Clean it. No, there's no amount of cleaning solution on the planet that's going to fix that. There's oceans, memory attached to that. Water. No, no, burn it. Does this diamond have a piece of corn on it? What? <laughs> oh. Wasn't the there some kind diamond. of a story of a doctor that was implanting dog gonads or something into somebody or something goat, like that? Goat nuts. Goat nuts. That's what it was. Oh yeah. Well, he he's famous. That's goat. That's goat gland Brinkley. Mm-hmm. Goat gland Brinkley. Goatland Brinkley, Goatland Brinkley, rather. I, I don't remember his first name offhand, but he was a. Doesn't uh, really matter. <laughs> no, he's got the he, good name. Yeah, he was actually a pretty important guy in many ways. He, um, in addition to doing his Goatland operations, where what he would do is, he actually had a herd of Toggenberg goats that 
he would allow patients to choose which goat they wanted the testicles from. <laughs> and uh, he insisted that they only use Toggenbergs because there were other kinds of goats, but he said they gave you a bad smell if you used them. That's anyway. Okay. Yeah, anyway, uh, so what he would do is he would remove the goat's testicles and he would implant them in the testicles of a person, of a man, of course, and uh, it, uh, he would try to graft it on. Apparently, I, I, haven't, I can't tell you what, what he, whether the operations were successful or not. He crippled a bunch of people. Then no, but, then but no. There's uh, the uh, answer. <laughs> a lot of people also claimed it worked, so who knows? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't imagine why it would. Oh my God! But uh, but Brinkley was a remarkable man. I, he was a uh, he was the he was always being attacked by the medical community because he was a quack. Well, <laughs> but, well then, but he wasn't really easy at the time. Doctors were not as carefully licensed. You could, you could call yourself a doctor and practice as a doctor with nothing. You could just you did doctoring, you know. Yeah. But as but Brinkley just happened to live at a time when the medical field was being professionalized, and uh, by the time he was out of business, the um, he would never have been allowed to practice as a doctor. But when he started, it was not that unusual. The uh, he was one of the important things about him, though, and this is really off subject was that when his business was run out of the United States, he, would, he wasn't allowed to advertise in the United States anymore. Hmm. So what he did was he bought this incredibly powerful radio station on the Mexican border. And uh, this, when it wasn't advertising his medicines, which were, again, quack medicines, when they weren't advertising his medicines, what he would do is he would broadcast rock and roll. And if you remember in the movie American Graffiti, the, the, the rock and roll broadcast that Wolfman Jack was giving, I think, was one of uh, Goat, Ger Goat Glenn Brinkley's Mexican uh, stations. They were really? so powerful. They were so powerful. They covered a lot of the American Southeast. Wow. That's impressive. That not, nothing to do with Christmas. But no, no, but it's okay. It's <laughs> it's a fine road to go down. Here's a really odd little piece of trivia. I was looking on YouTube once to see if they had any documentaries about him, and uh, I found these home movies he took when he and his family went to the Galapagos Islands, and they just shot things. It was just weird. What, like with guns or yeah, like they cameras? Just, they just shot things. Well, you know, like you do. Yeah, it was. Uh, but you know, people that grew up in the 19th century had kind of a uh, had kind of a target shooting attitude about nature. Yeah, well, they still kind of have it now. So, yeah, I mean, even somebody, it's it was always a very weird thing. It was like Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt loved nature. He loved it. He also mm. liked to shoot animals. Well, that's very true. Yeah, shoot it. <laughs> It's moving. Shoot it. But uh, anyway, I'm sorry. We're, we're, that's really off subject. No, it's fine. It's just isn't it though? I mean, isn't it all on subject <laughs> at this point? Well, I was going to ask you about uh, about Bob Crane from Hogan's Heroes and his weird life, but that has nothing to do with any of this subject either. So that's a separate show unto itself, I would imagine. Well, I mean, we could talk about that. I, I, I read a book on it. I, I don't know if that matters. He was an odd guy. I, we're well, going he did way like off. rough sex, and he did like filming it. 
Yeah, didn't he do it with his kid? Not not have sex with his kid, but his kid filmed it with him or something like that. That I I never heard that. That could be oh. a rumor. I do know that he started filming it because Richard Dawson was his friend, and Richard Dawson liked to film sex. Richard huh. Dawson is from. Richard Dawson was the English guy in Hogan's Heroes, and then he then he went on to uh, host Family Feud. That's what it was. That's what I thought it was. And that guy huh. was creepy. Yeah, that guy was and, really uh, creepy. That he was, was in the. Himself? <sighs> he was he was a home movie fan. He was also in Running Man, right? He he had a small bit in Running Man right. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. He, had big, he had a big part in Running Man. He was the he was the host of the game show that yeah. uh, that Arnold Schwarzenegger was was uh, being was the contestant on. I didn't think it was the same Richard Dawson though. I saw, I read the name. I'm like, nah, I can't be the same guy because that guy was creepy. He would be the one that would always kiss the women on the show. That's right. That's him. Yeah. And when he wasn't kissing them, he was filming them. Wow. That guy yeah, was weird. Did he kill too. himself though? I don't, I don't know. I don't I, think so. I don't so. think so. I think he just, I think he died. I know one of the guys from Family Feud killed himself. I'm looking at my Christmas list. Ray Combs. Ray Combs is the dude who killed himself. I don't know who that is. He was the guy who is in charge of Family Feud before Dawson. Oh, I never heard of him. I thought it was Richard Dawson. No, the guy before Richard Dawson is the dude who killed himself. And if you watch Robot Chicken, when they do the little skits, uh-huh. he's in it and he's always killing himself. Oh. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Well, Bob Crane, though, to finish it all off since we're on Bob Crane, he was murdered, though, by... Uh... Who, who murdered him? What was Well, story? they've never proven it, but supposedly it was a friend of his. And so the, the way the story goes, and this is, uh, this is what I've heard, is that Bob Crane, who was a very charming and handsome man, women loved him. And he had no trouble meeting women everywhere all the time. And he had this very creepy friend who kind of was there for God, there's no other way of putting it he was there for Bob Crane's extras mm -hmm. and Bob Crane wanted to get he wanted this guy out of his life and supposedly this guy sneaked into Bob Crane's bedroom when Crane was working at a local theater in Arizona if I remember correctly mm -hmm. and he beat him to death with a camera tripod Whoa. The, yeah there was a very weird, first of all, the wound was strange. And then there was a very weird blood stain on the sheets. And it took them a long time to figure out that it was probably, it was probably a camera tripod stain mm -hmm. that had been left there. And I think there was also an electrical cord wrapped around Crane's neck. His head was mashed. And um, they were never able to prove that this guy did it. Years and years later, they, they uh, it wasn't a very good investigation. And years later, they found a photograph of, th there were a bunch of f forgotten photographs that were taken of the suspect's car at the time. And they found a tiny little something, a photograph of what looks like brain matter. Uh, in the uh, in in one in one of the photographs, but I think the guy was dead by then, and it was just wasn't worth it wasn't worth uh, pursuing in court. Well, they tried to do some kind of DNA testing or something like that, and the guy that they the, the DNA testing that they ran, they ran it. Uh, oh shoot, I think they ran it in 2016, and they ran it in 1990, and the DNA still did not match. Uh, Crane was the guy's last name was Crane, who they believed actually killed him. I can't remember what his first name. Wait a minute, was. no, no, the victim was Crane. Bob okay, Crane. yeah, Bob Crane, and but the the guy who killed him, I can't remember what the person's name was, who they think killed him. Um, 
but the the DNA didn't match or something. There was some kind, something to do with the DNA that that was from the blood that was found that didn't match from from what I remember. The guy's name is John Carpenter. Yes, but it's not the same John Carpenter, right? Yeah, the no, not the not the not the yeah, uh, not the movie director. Not the director. Yeah, that's where I my brain's getting no. tripped up. I keep wanting to say something else because I'm like it can't be John Carpenter. No, but it was a different John Carpenter. No, it's funny you say that because um it says here I just happened it just happened to pop up. Hogan's hero star Bob Crane's murder still a mystery despite new evidence. The DNA found on the door of John Carpenter's rental car is not from Bob Crane. Yes, that's what it was. That's what the story was. That's why we have you here because I'm ill informed. <laughs> no, I just looked it up. All right, well, I guess let's try to bounce back into Christmas again and see where sure. it takes us on the next story. <laughs> As long as we start at Christmas and end up somewhere else and go back to it, okay, we can claim that as a Christmas show. Christmas brings murder. Argument over selling Christmas cards ends in death. Oh, let's see. What is this? <laughs> I love it when they die in the end. <laughs> How do you get into an argument over Christmas cards and kill somebody? How well, pissed we, off do you have to be? Well, wait, we just listened to a little girl beat the crap out of a girl. Use two different types of garrots and then stabbed her in the face with a broken bottle. But was it Returned over Christmas cards? Body. It, it, you're asking about Christmas cards? Was it over Christmas cards? Was it over Christmas cards? The holidays are bad enough. Do you have any stories of families freaking out and killing each other at Christmas ga- family gatherings? Because the oh, holidays are the worst oh, family sure. gathering times. Yeah, I mean, uh, actually, there are so many cases of of shootings at family dinners at Christmas. I didn't even bother... I didn't even bother cutting them out. I mean, here's one, for example. There's one I did. I don't know why I saved this one. Oh, I, I see why I saved it. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it's got to be something special. This is actually a very, very famous story. The, um, the, it is the most notorious murder in North Carolina history where the Lawson family was murdered. And if I remember correctly... Uh, let me see here. Yeah, here's a quick here. Here's very quick analysis of it. And uh, here, I'll, I'll just I can read you the story. It happened in 1930, and uh, or 1929. I, I I'm I wish I could tell you offhand, but it, the home, the headline is commercializing the Lawson home, Winston Salem, January 30th, the home place of Charlie Lawson. Stokes County farmer who slew his wife and six children and then killed himself on Christmas Day is being commercialized and members of the family have roped off the Lawson home, locked the doors, and are charging an admittance fee of 25 cents. They are even advertising the attraction in the the daily newspapers. The excuse for such conduct is given that the money is needed to help pay off the indebtedness on a tract of land that Lawson was owing for and that the money raised in this manner will be applied to the debt for the benefit of Arthur Lawson, 19-year-old youth, the only surviving member of the ill-fitted family. The charge of 25 cents to enter in and look on the scene of the gruesome tragedy has not deterred the morbid and the curious, and visitors are there daily, sometimes as high as 100 people making the pilgrimage. On a recent Sunday before the home was roped off and locked up, it is said that at least 500 people visited the scene of carnage. No report has come from the Baltimore Hospital yet regarding the examination of the brain of Lawson, but is expected most any day, and it is awaited with intense interest. You know, I actually know a little side story about the Lawson, about the Lawson murder. There was... A raisin, the girl, the daughter of the family, 
had baked a raisin cake and the raisin cake was still sitting on the table when the family was murdered. And odd stories began circulating about this raisin cake for some reason. And somewhere in my, in my papers, I have the recipe for the raisin cake. I have it under recipes related to homicides. We were going to do a show on that with you. Yeah, yeah. We I still I, are I, at some point. I was, okay. it's, yeah, because I've got Lizzie Borden's meatloaf. Yep. I've got Otis Tool's spaghetti sauce. I've got. There was the also, uh, even though he's not a murderer or anything like that, there was, there was some kind of a recipe for Bella Lugosi, I believe it was. That he, there was one for him, and I think there uh, might have been one for Vincent Price as well. Well, Vin, no, Vincent Price was a chef. So with him, there are countless recipes. Uh, but. Anyways, back to the Lawsons. (laughs) Anyway, I I don't remember all the stories, but it was one of those odd uh, points of the case that uh, it it just began, um, sort of a mythology began to to, uh, crop up around it. But that's one of the great Christmas murders is is the Lawson family. There is a documentary about it that uh, where Mm -hmm. they, you know, it's funny because I've had this experience myself where, the documentary people went to the town and there were a lot of people who still don't want to talk about it. It happened in 1930, but they still don't want to talk about it. And I've had this happen myself. There was an article I wanted to write on a place called Beale Island or Beale's Island, Maine. And according to the newspaper sources that I found, a sort of a crazy cult popped up there in the 19th century and the local people all got caught up in this in the well not all of them but a good number of people got caught up in this local cult and uh, I don't remember whether it was the end of the world it was one of those it was one of your typical cult things but anyway they were demanding sacrifices and this woman who was leading the cult she apparently sacrificed a dog and then she demanded the sacrifice of uh, of a girl who was somehow developmentally disabled. I, I don't know what was wrong with her. But the stories were very odd. Now, I am willing to concede that when, you, when you're getting stories from a place like Beale Island, which is not, it's not a, a remote area. It's, it, you know, it's close to the main coast. It's near, I don't remember which, which main city it's near. But at the time, it was fairly isolated. And when I contacted the people on Beale Island, first of all, I was a little, um, I knew something was going to go wrong because everyone had the last names of the people who were involved in the story. It is an island. And when I began inquiring, uh, the lady who was the head of the local historical society more or less told me, you know, people here are very proud. And that was the end of our communication. She did, yes, huh. she uh, she sort of fobbed me off with a thing about how oh the whole story is a hoax, or it's wildly exaggerated, and that was the end of our contact. She did not want to talk about it, and uh, that's happened to me in other cases too, where when you've got a, uh, oh gosh, I had a there was a, a major story that I wanted to write about a small family that. Um, became more or less crazed by religion in Kentucky in uh, the 1920s, 
19, early 1930s, I don't remember the exact date, but they ended up murdering the grandmother as a human sacrifice, supposedly. Uh, they strangled her with a chain, I remember that. And a the chain? A chain, yeah, they strangled her with a chain. Wow. And uh, then they, they were going to resurrect her, but it didn't work. And the family ended up, uh, some went to jail, some went to a mental hospital. It was, it, was, it was a sad, crazy story. Anyway, I got in touch with the local historical society, and they put me in touch with the grandson or the great-grandson of the woman who was murdered, who has apparently, he's been collecting this material for years, and I asked him if I could just talk to him about it. He will not talk to me about it, um, because I am not saved. Oh, and you're not? No, and because I am not the right kind of Christian. You're not? Apparently not. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, he wants to. He's been collecting this uh, this material for years, and uh, he wants to somehow turn it into a kind of a sermon. No, and you know it's funny because I really wanted to talk to him. I wanted him to at least discuss it with me, and I, I got I got recommendations from. I, I, I had my um, I had my publisher send him a copy of my last book to show him that I'm not going to write a hack piece. I'm not going to write an exploitive piece. I'm just going to tell the story of what happened. And uh, because I really wanted to talk to him, it's not easy finding somebody on the inside like that who, who has family stories to tell. Uh, I did find a few relatives, but they didn't have much. And when they found out that I was in contact with him, they thought it was better for me to talk to him Anyway, um, the, in the end, I, I even had this man I know. He's a wonderful guy. His name is Judge Braswell Dean. He was the first source. I can't believe we're back to this story again uh, about the story about the men with goat horns screwed to their head. Judge Dean saw one of these men when he was about eight years old. And the guy came through Alma, Georgia, where Judge Dean was working in a grocery store. Uh, during the depression, it was about 1932, and he saw this. Uh, he saw one of these men with the horns screwed on his head, and he ended up using it in a poem that he wrote. Judge Dean, since he retired, his main occupation has been he is a creationist, and he mm. he's anti Darwin, anti evolution. He's a very nice man, and he's been very helpful to me. So while I don't agree with him. I have a lot of respect for him because he's just been so he's been so great about so many things. Anyway, sure. he he wrote this man a letter telling him mm. that I am, you know, Judge Dean is a very enthusiastic Christian. Uh he said that I will not that I've worked with him, that I am not going to do a hack job. I'm not going to make fun of, and you know, I'm going to treat it respectfully and uh again this guy was a uh he was the head of the Georgia Court of Appeals. This is a serious guy. His father was a senator. Uh, but no, he didn't want to hear about it. All he did was he congratulated Judge Dean on being saved. Huh. So anyway, I've got this is sort of a sore point for me uh, because I, I really, I really tried to uh, 
you know, it would bother me less if I knew that I wouldn't try to do such a, a good job with the story because I would make sure that this story was told properly. I don't make fun of people. I, I, uh, I have a lot of respect for people. I don't make fun of religion. I, I don't do any of those things. And it bothers me to simply be dismissed based on the fact that I don't, I'm not the right kind of Christian or I'm not saved the right way. Don't mince words. How do you really feel? <laughs> yeah. it actually, it hurts me because yeah, I, I know. know I could do a good job with this story and I know I would tell it so that he would appreciate it. But uh, he is 80, and uh, when he dies, I'm going to ask his family if I, can, uh, if I can have access to them. So, you know, it's just a waiting game. It is. It is. I've done this before. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll yeah. I'll just wait for you to die. I have waited for people to die uh. and, and then tried to get material. Uh, it's, it sounds very cold-blooded, but... No, it doesn't. Well, it sounds like some... a realist. Well, yeah, I, I know it sounds... I know how it sounds, but... If he has actually been collecting this material all this time, then presumably he's got a file somewhere. And when he dies, I don't want his family to just chuck his stuff, right? which happens a lot. So when he dies, I, I want to contact his family, which I know how to do. And I'm going to ask them if I can, even if they won't give it to me, I'll go there and just copy it. I'll, I'll hand copy it. I don't care. They don't even, you know, I won't even have to, it won't even have to leave their house. I've done that before where, for example, I was working with a very rare pamphlet at one time and I just copied the whole thing out by hand because I, I, it was too delicate to, um, to be photocopied. Yeah, those are the things you have to do. Hmm. So anyway, I'm looking forward to his death. <laughs> All that. right. Well, we've had you on here for about an hour now. Do, is there any more stories you want to cover before we uh, kick you off into the wild blue yonder and have you do your little piece of promotion and all that stuff? Do you got anything oh, else you want to throw out? No, I mean, nothing in particular. I, I hope I gave you guys enough stuff. Oh, oh yeah, you always do. Time you come on. Yeah. Give us That's stuff. what. When I asked you to come on, Lobo was like, what are we going to talk about? I'm like, I don't know. And usually that's... The response some, was awesome. Yeah. Normally when some when we get that, when we have that kind of a conversation, it's like, oh boy, we get nervous. But with you, it's yeah. it's no just, a, you know, plus we've known you for so long now. And I've talked to you so many times off the air for various reasons that just our personal conversations have extended uh -huh. into, you know, you know two hour long topics of things, you know, that I wish I had been pressing the record button. Oh, so <laughs> at this point, it's easier just to call you up and say, all right, go ahead, find some stuff and let's go. Because you were, for a while, I remember you were saying that uh, you were researching maniacs and just people who... Yeah, well, just... that, that's, a lot, that's a lot of what I've been doing. You know, one of the nice things about... I, I have never called myself somebody who writes about the paranormal. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I like Strange But True, because mm -hmm. that gives me a lot of latitude. I can write about any really weird thing that catches my eye. And uh, I've just been really in I, I, I just I haven't felt the need I haven't felt any real er, I have nothing really important to say about the paranormal at the moment. Well, it's so, it's kind of it, and many times it goes into a dead end topic. There's only so much you can say. Like that's the same way with us. That's one of the reasons why we don't cover it a whole lot unless it's something of a historic nature or something different and interesting because a lot of the stories have been told mm -hmm. and there's just not a lot of fresh stuff out there. You know, unless it's something old and obscure that people have forgotten about or something that's a different take on something, that's fine. But 
I, I don't want to be a greatest hits show that just goes back and recovers the same stuff that's been talked about over and over again on other podcasts sure. and continues to be talked about over and over again on other podcasts. Yeah, Into I mean, death. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I hear the word Roswell and I just kind of crumple a bit. You uh, know? Yeah, it's like we've never we we've never discussed Roswell and I probably never will because I don't think that there's any more that can be said about it. Exactly, and 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 I'm that way about a lot of stuff. You know. When I wrote Mrs. Wakeman, there were some very specific things I wanted to talk about. I mean, the uh, the connection between Ape Canyon and treasure hunting. That was something that had been bopping around in my head for years, and I wanted to talk about it. The possible explanation for the origin of clown panics, that was something that I had been thinking about, again, for a long time. But you know, and when when I write when I wrote about um, the wizard clip, that was just such an unusual poltergeist. It was unprecedented that I wanted to tell that whole story. Also, it's been more or less forgotten, and how many towns are named after a poltergeist? So you know, again, it was interesting. But I have plenty of newspaper clippings and stories about paranormal events, some of which are interesting. But I don't have anything really important to say about them. You know, like so many paranormal stories, it just sort of peters out. Well, you are writing one more book in your series, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Uh, how far are you along into that? Well, I'm working on the third story right now. And to be honest, I haven't signed a contract for it yet. Um, I don't really want to because once you sign the contract, you have a deadline. Mm Mm-hmm. And I have never met a deadline. I have my first book. I went two years over the deadline. Well, then it took you forever to write the second one. Yeah, it took me about five years to write the second one. Because I remember when we contacted you, you were like, "Wait a minute, you <laughs> want to talk to me about this book that I wrote?" I'm like, "Yeah, you know." <laughs> you were you were like at the time, no one was really talking to you, and I remember you made the joke about are there still copies out there floating around about it of uh, the President's Vampire? Oh. Yeah. And and, you know, you were kind of like years. Yeah. You you were like shocked and I was like, No, I love this book. I read it a long time ago and I said that you were the one of the people I eventually wanted to talk to you and you were very accommodating, but you were very surprised that somebody was still out there interested in it. Yeah, well, <clears> you know, there are millions of books come out a year, so it's yeah. surprising when someone remembers one that you wrote. And also I uh I, you you know, there was the I kind of put the whole thing out of my mind when I'm not working on it. Um, because I, I tend to concentrate very much on what I'm working on at the time. But this next book is going to have some, uh, some interesting things. Uh, it, it's going to be, like I said, th- there's going to be more emphasis on insanity, but there will be, almost all of these stories have some, at least paranormal element. The, um, sometimes the paranormal element will be an insane person's delusions, but it's there. Uh, but a lot of these are stories about insane people who have done horrific things that have been forgotten. And these are also, these can be difficult stories to write, not because there's no information, but because they almost always end the same way where the person ends up being put in a mental hospital where they spend the rest of their life and it is almost impossible to get 
uh, records from mental hospitals. Some states have so have such a have so many rules about it. I think Oregon, for example, which is where I where, the, the story I'm working on right now involved a woman who committed murder, and she went she ended up in the Salem State Hospital in Oregon. I believe that they have a rule that says they can't even tell you if the person was in the hospital. That's how that's how rigid their rules are. Of course, in this case, that didn't apply because the the murder made the newspaper, so it was reported. And of course, when she was uh, not put on trial and sent to the hospital instead, that that was just you know in the in the news. So you know that. Mm-hmm. But in most cases, let's say somebody a family member just gets sick and has to go to the mental hospital, they uh, they they will not tell you that that person was even even there. How much records do you have of newspaper? Do you do you have like filing cabinets just full of this stuff? No, I don't. I don't use filing cabinets. I use binders. Uh, do you do you just have binders and binders stacked on top? I, I get this image of like like a guy just like trapped in his house, surrounded by binders. You know, feverishly no, collecting them. <laughs> as many as you might think, because uh, the family objects. So um, <laughs> I, I have a whole. I have one bookcase that's dedicated to binders. Um, uh, but that's just here. Um, uh, you know, I live here and I live in Brooklyn. I'm in Paramus right now. And, uh, so I've got one bookcase full of binders here and another bookcase full of binders in Brooklyn and a couple of small filing cabinets. I, I do a lot of my, uh, I save a lot of stuff on the computer now though, because it's just, it's so much easier to retrieve uh-huh. Things that are on the computer because you can use word searches. Have you given any thought, like if something were to happen to you, all this stuff that you've accumulated over the what's going, what would happen to this stuff? It would all just it's be just lost. News, it's just newspaper clippings. I mean, anyone can collect newspaper clippings. Yeah, but still, it's the idea that you know, it's when someone goes through and puts the effort to collect all this stuff and put it in one spot of a, of a specific nature. You know, to see something that all just get tossed away, it's a shame. You know, because that's kind of. It's it's an archive. You it know? is. That's, that's actually a problem that uh, there. I don't remember his name, but if uh, but I remember that there is a guy who has been collecting the papers of people who were involved in the strange and paranormal. I don't remember his name, but he for for example, when Ivan Sanderson died, his stuff just got. And, and and situ, which was his society for the investigation of the unexplained, their stuff just got scattered, if I remember correctly. And this guy's been kind of reconstituting the collection. When um, psychic research labs close down, often their papers are just uh, scattered. What, do you, you know who D. Scott Rogo is? No. D. Scott Rogo was a parapsychologist who was very busy in the 1970s he was one of the uh, one of the real popular parapsychologists he uh, he wrote for fate and omni and uh, he wrote something like 30 books he was a very fast writer he actually ended up being murdered so um i wrote about, i wrote about his murder the sto- I, I sent it to fate but they refused to print it oh hmm. wow uh well his murder was a little tawdry so isn't that the best kind well, they, the lady who runs it didn't like the story that I told because I told the truth. And uh, that was actually one of the first stories I ever wrote. Uh, the, it, it, in, in retrospect, it could have been a lot better written, but uh, 
again, it was the content that she objected to, not the, uh, not the uh, style. Anyway, that kind of, uh, uh, that's, where were we? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, when D. Scott Rogo died, he, when he was murdered, his papers were put together and they were, he left them to the, there used to be a parapsychology program at <clears throat> Kennedy University, I think was the name of it, Kennedy College or something like that in California. And they had his papers and they had them in storage. And once again, I said, can I go? I will. I'll arrange them for you. I just want to see what he's got. Uh, I will. I'll, I'll, um, I'll index them for you. Uh, you know, they've just been sitting there in boxes for years. But you know how I, I, people are so crazy with this stuff. They wouldn't let me and they wouldn't sell them to me because I was willing to buy them. They wouldn't sell them to me because some professor somewhere said he might use them sometime. It's just, like I said, people are very weird about this stuff. Yeah, it's kind of like, because what you're saying is, is th that's essentially what Fort did. You know, for, th that was the same attitude. All Fort did was go down and look up all these articles and stuff like that when he released all of his books. Mm -hmm. and he burned a lot of his stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. but for somebody to say, well, it's just stuff you go down and collect the library. It's mm -hmm. not that important. Yeah, it is important. It's real important. You know, it's it's it's, it's well, a, I guess it's I, a like receptacle said, of knowledge. You know, kind of how we pass on information in this society. Yeah, you know, well, I, I, an encyclopedia I, I, is just a whole bunch of stuff we've accumulated and put together in a book. So you know, I, I guess it doesn't doesn't seem that way to me because, in a because uh, collecting this sort of information has become so easy. In the last few years, I mean, it used to be that Charles Fort would have to plow through dozens and dozens of books before he would find something worth copying down on his index cards. I put in a keyword, and the material just drops in my lap. Yeah, but you spend hours doing it. I yeah. do. <laughs> a lot of time. You burn it. through days of time. I, do. I mean, I burn. I burn time looking for stuff for the show. You burn through a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny actually. One of the things I always like about getting sick is when I get sick. What I like I, about getting well, sick. Well, it's true. But when I get sick, I have I have an excuse to just sit and go through the just go through my newspaper databases looking for interesting stuff. Uh, although one of the nice things about Historian of the Strange is that I'm always looking for material to post there, and a lot of that material is going to be in the next book. At least, you know, I found the initial article when uh, when I was looking for material for Historian of the Strange, and I looked at it and I said, wow, this is good, and I just began to dig. Cool. It's funny. Uh, Historian of the Strange has really been an interesting experience for me. You know, part of it is I never know what, what's going to appeal to people. I have learned, for example, that it is a good idea. If you can throw in a little sex, that really attracts people's attention. <laughs> like uh, like Beefsteak Pete, that story, people love that story. Well, it, the most successful story I ever posted was the one about the uh, female undertaker who stole the body and spent a few days with it. She was a necrophile. Mm. That story was shared. All right, tell this story. <laughs> I don't have the number. I don't have the uh, the uh, material with me, but uh, it, it happened not very long ago, and she was a necrophile, and uh, she's still around. 
She's under an assumed. She has an assumed name now. She was. Uh, she was interviewed by Adam Parfrey, I think, for one of his books, for Apocalypse Culture, or one of his books. And she, again, like I said, she was a necrophile. And when she had a body in a hearse, but she really liked this body, and she drove off with it. She was fine. Uh, they were actually arrested her, I think, for stealing the hearse. But she spent several days with this body having um, a good time. <laughs> What? Coitus? Coitus. <laughs> if you like, yeah. If you like. She seemed <sighs> to. <laughs> uh, so, uh, of course, she lost her job and there were other there were other repercussions and she eventually uh, changed her name and um, uh, now lives, I think she's still in the funeral business, though, under uh. her name. And this story was inspired a movie and it... Uh, an art movie, so it's sort of an odd, an odd film. I haven't seen it myself, but the, this story again was shared sixty thousand times. Wow! Which I, I still, I still can't believe <clears throat> the story was shared that much. It's not like it was something that I, I that I, I found. It, it was floating around. It, it's, but you know, you know, it's just so odd the way these things catch and take off the way they do. Uh, something that I think is. It may be mildly interesting. People will be fascinated by it. And something that fascinates me, uh, you know, two or three people say, oh, that's that's nice. Uh, so, again, I, I've given up trying to figure that out. It, it, it's For me, it's a fascinating experience, though. I love doing it because I never know how people are going to respond. Right. Well, I would like to claim some credit on it because I did bug you forever for it seems like years now to get some kind of a blog up and running, and this is the closest thing you've got to it. So it is, it is, and uh, uh, I'm going to claim all the credit for this. You Thank can. you. you can part of it. <laughs> Although I also had the publisher yelling at me that I had to have a platform, and then he yeah. explained what a platform is. Um, but I, I don't regret it. This has been uh, it's been a really good thing to do, and. God knows it's gotten a good response. This year I'm probably going to hit 10,000 likes. So, cool. you know, people do like it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it, you never know who you're going to meet. And uh, I think there were, you know, it, it got me a speaking gig somewhere. And it's, it's, it's been nice. I, I, I like doing it. And, again, people do seem to appreciate it. And I haven't had anyone, I haven't had anyone get, bent out of shape about anything I've posted, which I'm glad about. There haven't been any really nasty arguments or anything on the on the uh, page, which I'm glad about, too, because I'm not going to moderate stuff. People <laughs> post whatever they want. You know, assuming, we're, we're, assuming people don't get too nasty. I've never had anyone post anything bad. Um, so it's, it's really been a good experience. And I, I hope I can keep doing it for a long time because, again, people do like it. And it's nice. It's the... One of the bad things about writing is it's very solitary. And when you publish a book, it's like you just chuck it into a black hole. You don't know whatever's going to happen. It's very rare that someone will write to you and say, you know, I enjoyed it, I didn't like it, or anything like that. And I'm not going to read the, uh, I'm not going to read the Amazon reviews because if someone didn't like it, I'll be bedridden for three days. <laughs> so, you, you know, the, the great thing about uh, Historian of the Strange is that I get immediate responses. I get immediate replies. And also I get some ideas on what people like and what they find interesting. All right. Well, we're going to let you go. 
So, uh, if you know, this is your chance to go out and promote anything you want. You've obviously just promoted your historian to the strange Facebook page. Uh, your oh, books are still out there, so, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. President's Vampire, also known as the, you know, it's been re-released on, by Penguin as the uh, Bye Bye Man. The uh, Mrs. Wakeman versus the Antichrist is still out there, still available. It's great, makes a great Christmas gift. And uh, Find them both the, on Amazon. Yeah, I'll find them both on Amazon, and they should Great be at Barnes and Noble. And the Bye Bye Man movie comes out on January thirteenth. Woohoo! And it's also available as an audiobook now, not the movie form, but the yes, actual... it is. You know, I forgot about that. Yeah, it's available. Yeah, I got it. It's uh, narrated by Scott Brick, which kind of blew me away that they managed to pull him into it. Yeah, he's a good yeah. narrator. Are they have any plans to uh, do an how audiobook about, for the second the book? How about the introduction and afterwards? Yeah, I remember you talking to me about how you're recording it. <laughs> Are they planning on doing the second book as an audiobook as well, or no word on that yet? I haven't heard any word on that. You know, the uh, Strange But True is a very small niche. And uh, <laughs> if it wasn't for the film, I can't imagine that uh, that the, the book ever would have been made a uh, a, an audiobook. And, and they wouldn't have. And having Scott Brick do it was just... That was frosting on the cake, you know. Mm-hmm. The right. um, that that was the, to me that was just so thrilling because you don't know how many people I've heard say I'll read anything Scott Brick narrates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, well we'll let you go as always. Okay. Thanks for coming on here and talking to us, and uh, I'm sure we'll be bugging you again in a few months down the road. I still Great. really do want to do the recipes of the strange. <laughs> I have that whole syrup. We'll call it, we'll call it uh, recipes of the damned. Yeah, sure. That'll work. That'll work fine. But, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on here, Robert, and uh, we'll oh, talk to you again pleasure. soon. I'll thanks, Uncle Robert. Okay, bye-bye, Lobo. Bye-bye, Rogan. If you like motorcycles and you like comedy, perhaps you should try the Wheel Nerds podcast. Stop that. What what are you doing? I'm doing my announcer voice. It's proven super effective. It's stupid. Nope. We're the Wheel Nerds. Shut up. We're the Wheel Nerds. We're a weekly-ish comedy motorcycle podcast where we talk about everything two wheels and a bunch of stuff that isn't. Give us a listen at wheelnerds.com, iTunes, or Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are sold. Ha, ha, ha! I guess I'm doing this now, my throat hurts. Want to get in contact with the show or listen to back episodes? It's easy. Go to www.projectarchivist.com. On the right side of the page, you'll find links to our archives, as well as links on how to get onto our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. If you want to leave a voicemail for us, it's 734-681-0459. Yes, we do listen to all of them. Or if you want to talk to Lobo directly, you can call 203-212-9975. Yes, that will in fact put you in touch with his cell phone. If he's available, he will take your call and talk to you. If you're just looking to send us an email, you can do that at projectarchivist at gmail.com. Don't forget to look for us on iTunes under the podcast section, or you can stream us right to your phone with the Stitcher Android app for free. (sighs) The ever-fun Robert Schneck. Uncle Robert. I yawn as I say that. I don't know why. I'm tired. Wow. You're that, Robert? If you're listening, you He never listens it. to his shows. He no, never he doesn't listens listen to his anything. own interviews. No. And I'm going to have to go through and do some editing in that one. I, 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 at this point, I did do editing to that one because it ran really <laughs> long. Robert has gotten so comfortable with us that he just makes right turns left and right. So. Dude, we were on the phone for two and a half hours. I know. I know. And then we only recorded maybe an hour and a half of it. Yeah, maybe. If it all goes well, and I don't think it's going to be the curse of the show, because Rob's been really good with us, we're working on an episode that's going to be entitled Recipes of the Damned, 
Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to put too much more into it. Don't but, stop talking. Yeah, we're not going to put too much more into it, but it looks to be very interesting, and it's it's falling together quite nicely. So anyways, I did an appearance on Where Did the Road Go last night. Um, uh-huh. By the time this comes out, that episode should be out. It was me, Red Pill Junkie, uh, Joshua Cutchen, and Soraya. And it was probably one – it was the craziest guest appearance that I've ever done on a show. Uh, it, it was a weird show where we started off talking about different weird news articles and there was the touchdown Jesus statue down in Ohio that got struck by lightning and caught on fire and burned up. And then we went into this Good. thing about sex robots and you know me, it's, I'm not interested in sex robots, but human nature fascinates me about why everybody is freaking out about this thing with sex robots. It wants, because people are stupid. And then it turned into like, well, people in Japan are weird because of this and that. And then it went into the whole thing about artificial intelligence, which we've talked on this show before many times about theories of yep. artificial intelligence. And it just kept on going and kept on going from there. And uh, Josh posted it was probably one of his favorite shows he've ever, he's ever done. I think it's probably, as far as talking about strange topics, I think it's probably one of the best shows that I've ever done. Cool. Um, you know, Red Pill was the right, like Red Pill was the straight guy, the one keeping it, trying to keep it all ground level. Me and Josh are just a train wreck all over the place talking about, well, you know, he was like, we're talking, Hey, let's go to Dragon Con. I'm like, yeah, then I'll bring my Josh sex spot. And then, you know, he's like, yeah, me and my wife will go and we'll hook up. And I'm like, yeah, then Whoa. you guys can, he's like, he made some kind of a joke. And I'm like, yeah, then you can look over and watch me having sex with your, your, dude, your Josh robot dude. or something like that. Yeah. Cool. That was, that was the kind of episode it was like me and Josh were just going all over the place. Soraya is just sitting in there like, Oh my God, you know what the hell I got myself into red pill junkie. Ever the gentleman is trying to have serious conversations about consciousness and and all of these different things, and we we didn't we took the high road. We didn't we didn't go very blue with it, but you know, really didn't because it sounds no, like we didn't. We well that we didn't. We really didn't. We didn't take a lot of this. We didn't make a lot of the jokes and stuff that we could have. But afterwards, wow. it was like you know what? This was actually a pretty cool show because even though we did talk about some really squirrely stuff, we did talk about really cool really cool topics and of course uh, you know i kind of just steamed away my way through the show which i come later to find out sarias told me that's why he likes having me on the show is because when i'm on there again maybe it's a comfortable thing that um i kind of just say all right let's go over here now let's go over here now let's talk about this and let's talk about that and then people feed off of that apparently Whereas I feel like when I go on somebody else's show that I'm taking over their show, I do it with Joe over at Ozone all the time. And Joe says the same thing. No, no, it's great. Go ahead and go with it. Go with it. Go with it. But mm. whereas me, I feel like, oh, hi, I'm here. I'm just going to walk up and put my feet up on the couch and drink all your beer and take over your TV set. You know, that's what it feels like when I go on another show. But uh, I do recommend finding if you, you know, go and go and subscribe to Where the Road Go and, and give that episode a listen because it was a lot of fun to talk. It was a lot of fun to do. And, you know, the stuff we talked about was really cool. And you were invited, but you couldn't make it. No. But I think it's better, like, when me and you do shows, I actually think it's better to when we do them separately. Because, like, when you do shows separately, you're, we, we have vastly different personalities. And f- to you put don't us, say. When you put us both on a show, we're going to, like, we're just going to, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to do a show with both of us at the same time unless it's just me and you on the show for the most part. Because like the, I, I always go back to the show the first time that me and you were on Tim Benall and we were just giggling idiots. It sounded like we'd eaten pot brownies all night. And it was because we were so nervous about it. Then the second time we were on there, it was much different, I think. But I don't know. <laughs> That's just me, I guess. So. Maybe. I don't know. I Anyways, just kind of show up. Yeah. 
Yeah, he wants to have you back on there again. He really does. He really does. I'm sure. Um, I don't know. That's pretty much it. Everybody have a safe holiday. Don't go murdering the rest of your family unless oh. they really need it. You know, if 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 you feel that, you, if if you must kill your family, you know, make sure it's for the right reasons. You know, if, if you if you're gonna. <laughs> Don't use rope. Don't, Don't use, use rope. mop strings no. or rubber. Bottle, busted or bottles. Chains. You know, if, if you're going to do it, if, if you must murder your family, you know, and if, if, if the reasons are right and you have to do it, you know, use the axe, you know, do, do what you got to do, but just... You know, don't don't half-ass about it. Don't I, I don't want to read like you know Project Archivist listener kills family on Christmas and tragic you know um, dental floss murder or something. Dude, like that, that would be interesting, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Man loses head over dental floss. Fortunately, my family outings are pretty pretty good. They're pretty civil. I've I have yet to have a bad family outing with my family. Yeah, so, with my in-laws. I'm and not. Stuff. I'm usually not allowed to sit at the big table, and then the kids don't even want to sit with me. So I usually stand in the corner. <laughs> Lobo, are you going to participate this year? No. <laughs> right. I don't know how you do your Christmas thing. So. <sighs> well, we basically just all sit around, eat, and then we open presents, and you know. No, I mean we'll, in general. I don't. Gifted. I'm new to this whole Christmas thing. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know. Anyways, all right, let's call it a year. Let's call it a show, and we'll see everybody bright and early next year uh, with more strange, bizarre, and off-the-wall topics. Hopefully. Hopefully. All right, peace, folks. We don't want to bore too many people. No, we've got some exciting stuff on the way. We do. Yes, I think so. We've got some good stuff coming. So, All right, folks, take care. This is Rojan. Peace out from Detroit. Happy holidays. This is Lobo from Connecticut. Yay, pagans. Happy holidays. I don't know. <sighs> peace. Peace. Out of all the reindeer, you know you're the mastermind. Rockford, Rudolph, Santa coming far behind. Rockford, Rudolph, Santa gonna make it to town. Santa making Murray tell him he can take the freeway down.
Run, run, Rudolph, we're feeling like a merry 